This is Testing Code, Episode 74. Recruiting, interviewing, and the whole hiring process does have its flaws, and in Episode 72, I talked with April Winsel about how we might go about fixing it from the company side. But what if you're the person being interviewed? You don't have control of how the interview process is run, but you can prepare yourself for what you might be facing. In this episode, I talk with Derek Marr, CTO and co-founder of PathRise. This is the episode you need to listen to to get ready for software interviews. We discussed four aspects of technical interviews that interviewers are looking for. How to practice for the interview, techniques for synchronizing with interviewer and asking for hints, and even how to ask the recruiter or hiring manager how to prepare for the interview before it happens. If you or anyone you know has a software interview coming up, this episode will help you both feel more comfortable about the interview before you show up and give you concrete tips on how to do better during the interview. Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development, software testing, and Python. On today's episode of Testing Code, I have Derek Marr, and he is he's working with a company called Pathrise, and we're going to talk about all sorts of fun stuff. So, Derek, um, before we get jump into it too much, will you introduce yourself? Nice to meet you, Ryan. Yeah, so uh, as you know, I'm, I'm Derek, um, the, the CTO and one of the co-founders here at, at Pathrise. Uh, you know, Pathrise at, at a very high level is a career accelerator um, for, um, you know, aspiring engineers and also mid-level engineers uh, where we do everything as we can as an internal team to help our, our fellows who join the program uh, to get the best possible um, uh, job, job and career in software engineering and also in other uh, technology industries, primarily right now, product design and product management and data. Um before that, I was uh, a software engineer at Facebook, worked on a couple of teams. Uh, one is the 3D and V team, uh, and also worked on the payments team as well. And then before that, I was at a, uh, at a company called Gradescope, worked on full stack development, Ruby on Rails there. One of the things we talked about on the show before is technical interviews and, and hiring people. But that's what kind of what we wanted to talk about was um, helping people with technical interviews and stuff. So I think um, one of the, the the key insights with with technical interviewing is uh, that a lot of it is actually like behavioral, right? And and how you actually present the information, um, and and how you go about talking through um, um, your thoughts, and then coming to a solution, and then verifying that solution, right? Um, usually, I when I've talked to several like hiring managers, and generally it comes down to four main things as the rubric. First is like communication, uh, and communication has to do with all those behavioral skills. Um, and the second is problem solving, how you actually go about like solving the problem, talking about big O notation, um, different ways to to actually approach it with with data structures and talking about the trade offs between them. The third is coding or execution, actually you know coding it and executing it in the way that you discussed in the problem solving stage. And the last is verification, right? Like stating your assumptions again. Um, figuring out if it's actually 100% correct. What test cases do you test? How do you verify that it's 100% correct? So generally, those are the four things that, um, you know, for software engineering interviews that uh, interviewers are looking for. One of the things that is surprising to some people coming into a technical interview is the length. Um, Sometimes they're long. Is there an average 
or range? Usually, you know, it starts with the intro call, which is about 15 to 30 minutes. Then you go into a first round or a take home assignment. Um, and for if, if, you, if you don't do a take home assignment, usually the first round is 45 minutes, you know, can range from 30 to, to 60 minutes, sometimes longer for those that want to be really thorough. But it's, it's expensive, right? That's why you don't see in the first round uh, uh, companies going over 60 minutes most of the time. And then in the on-site, you know, again, ranges from about, uh, you know, 30 to 60 minutes per interview. Yeah. So the individual interview is going to be 30 to 60 minutes, but a person might interview with several different people at a company in the same session. Yeah, which means happens on the on-site round. So the on-site can be, I guess it varies by company. The longest I saw was like a six-hour day. Um, Yep, yep. uh, which which yeah. is pretty long, but it includes somebody will take you out to lunch probably in the middle of it or something. Yeah, I mean it ranges from as small as two to three. Sometimes some some you know um, companies don't even do on sites. Sometimes they make a call after the first round. Um, there's some companies that make it you know I don't know how they, they're able to accommodate for the cost here, but over the course of three days, uh, I think Travis CI was known for that, where they do interviews over three days, um, and they would actually pay for you to. Um, uh, you know, stay over the night uh, so you can come back. Uh, so there's some companies that are really, really thorough, but that's very huh? rare. Yeah. yeah, that's something else. Well, <laughs> that'd be intense. Yeah, I don't know. That actually sounds interesting, but I don't know if I'd be up for it. Um, but okay, so the uh, the four components. Um, yeah. How do how does somebody get ready for that then, and sure. and make the most of it? Yeah. I mean, well, the first the first advice I would give if you're talking about preparation, ask for more information on how to prepare. Right. Um, I've seen this so much. Like, for example, like, you know, they would stay like if a, if a company like you say, oh, you know, here's your on site. It's going to be, you know, um, three to four hours long. Here's who you're going to be talking about. They go like, OK, thanks. Uh, you know, I'm going to go, go. I'll see you there. Um, rather than doing that, you should respond with like. I'm really excited. Like, is, is it possible to get on a 15 minute call so I can like learn a little more about like the vision and how to prepare. Right. And about like, you know, 40 to 50% of the time a recruiter will actually do that. And then you can get so much more information about what the interview is going to be on. Um, but even then you want to push back more. Like, so if the, the recruiter says, Oh yeah, this is going to be like, you know, um, uh, it's going to be whiteboarding interviews. That's actually one of our fellows. We, we told him to say that. And then the response was, Oh, you don't need to prepare. <laughs> like you just have to come and show up. And we we're just like, uh, okay, <laughs> like that doesn't make sense. Right. Obviously you can prepare for something. So we told our fellow to respond back with like, Oh, is it going to be data structures and algorithm focused? Or are we going to be testing, you know, like, um, like selenium if it's a testing engineer position. Right. So we told him to respond with a couple of options and the recruiter, you know, actually got back with tangible Results and so like, oh yeah, it is going to be focused on whiteboarding interviews that are data structures and algorithms. I would focus on like you know data structures like heaps and, and tries as well because those may be asked. And that's so huge. Even that small little amount of information change your trajectory of what you prepare for, right? And it's just a couple of emails. If they don't respond, which you know happens, like there's no there's no negative uh, consequence of that. All they know is that you're more excited and you want to prepare, right? So that's the first thing I would recommend is actually like doing doing that. Um, like another tip as well is that like, um, uh, you know, I think, uh, when you're given the names of people that you're interviewing with, you want to actually reach out to them beforehand as well. Yeah. I, and it's something that I think is, it is important to highlight. I'm surprised how many people will show up 
and not know what our company does and not know and not know anything about any of the people the interviewing them, even yeah. though we've told them. And yeah. I mean, the, the simplest thing you can do is just Google these people's names and see if you can find out who they are. They might have a LinkedIn page or yeah. something. This episode is brought to you by you, especially Patreon supporters and PyTest book purchasers. Is that a word? At testingco.com, there's a menu item called Donate that takes you to the Patreon campaign where you can join over 50 other people in supporting the show by donating a buck or two per episode to keep the show going. There's even nine people pledging $5 or more, like new patron Cliff Wildman. Thanks, Cliff, and everyone else. And also the people that have purchased Python Testing with PyTest also support the show. I wrote that book not just to teach you all the power of PyTest, but really to get your head around how to think about testing with PyTest. The most awesome moments for me at PyCon were all of the people that came up to me and told me stories about how much the book helped them. Truly very cool. You can buy it anywhere fine books are sold, but if you're opting for the ebook, grab that from Pragmatic directly. Why, why data structures and algorithms? Why do people interview over that? Just because it's easy to do or... Yeah, I think this is a, a very, I think, uh, a lot of people are, are very opinionated on, on this. Like some like really, really hate that process. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of qualms against it in the sense that it's like, it's not related to like the work, a lot of software engineering work that, that that's actually done. Right? If you're a full stack developer um, uh, and you're, you're building like a web application, uh, there's very rare times where you have to use like data structures and algorithms for your f to actually tackle the use case that you're, you're building, right? And then the other side is that like it it gives you a sense of like their problem solving skills, right? Um, and how their ability to approach uh, you know problems from from scratch and understand their way of thinking. Um, and to a lot of companies, that's the most important thing um, uh, versus like knowledge based questions, right? Where, where people say like, oh, what, what is what is the JVM? Uh, they're just based on your knowledge. And, you know, the reason why some companies hate that is like, well, you can always look, th look those up. Right. Uh, that's something that you can learn really quickly. What I want to really see is your ability to break down difficult problems like you would potentially at a company, um, even though it may not be data structures and algorithms focused. OK. Yeah. Okay, where we walk into a, into a room, there's a whiteboard. Yeah, what, what what do you do there? You always want to make sure you take the first at least fifteen to thirty seconds, maybe more, to make sure the problem is well scoped, right? Um, and this applies for any type of interview, especially for like product management interviews, etc. Um, you know, data science interviews, but software engineering as well, right? So asking clarifying questions about you know the the parameters that are coming in. Sometimes the scale of the parameters, like can you load the entire array to memory? Um, there's a question that I specifically asked and um, that explicitly tests for clarifying questions and your ability to scope things. And if you don't ask it and you just start solving the problem, you're going to get a little points knocked off. Right? It's going to be a negative signal that I'm going to know. It's like this person didn't scope the question um, correctly. Right? Of course, sometimes it's very hard for you to figure out what all those clarifying questions are in the beginning. I mean, the problem is already hard. Right? You're trying to think of how to solve it. So you want to be able to, you know, state those uh, assumptions as fast as you can once you start doing the problem, right? Once you realize that it should be something that needs to be clarified, you want to state it immediately before you start coding. 
Okay. Yeah. One of the things that's hard for some people is uh, is talking while they're coming up with a problem or coming up with a solution. And I and it's, it's something I wanted to bring up also is is to even if you just got to practice with a friend or something doing whiteboard interviews, uh, be able to talk while you're solving something. Uh, because that's not something we normally do as at least I don't normally do as an engineer. I'm usually in my head while I'm solving problems. Yep. Absolutely. That's and, one of the weird things about interviews. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's yeah. a, it's a weird thing to do and it's actually hard to think while you're speaking. So you gotta kind of practice to do that. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we did communication. Yeah. So there's three more. <laughs> I, Problem solving, right? Problem solving. I think one of the, the the tips there is when you talk about big O notation, right? Um, big O at, at high level is like the 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 speed of the algorithm in the worst case. So a lot of people they go like, oh, it's O of n squared. So they go like it's O of n, but they don't specify what n is. And like eighty to ninety percent of the time, it's actually not clear what n is. N could be many things. It could be like, you know, if it's a 2D array, it could be the length of the, the 2D array or it could be like every single cell in the array, right? So it's very important to, um, you know, clearly uh, define what N is. So like O of N, where N is, you know, the length of the the first array in, in, the, in, in the inputs of these parameters, right? So just small tip there is like specify what N is, just be clear about it so everyone's on the same page. Um, I think another thing uh, in this topic is like uh, is is in terms of hints. I think you actually want to listen to the key words in the hints. If you do need help, listen to the key words that the the interviewer is saying. Usually, they're saying the the hint in a way to give you some insight. So, for a common hint for like search questions is like, "Oh, you're linearly searching through the array. Can you do faster?" So, when you hear linearly and searching, you should be like, "Oh, okay." probably binary search, right? This is a search problem. I should talk about that, right? So listen to the key words that people are saying. Now, since I talked about asking for hints, let me briefly talk about that. You, from when I interview people, they say like, oh, I'm kind of stuck. Can you help me? Or, you know, uh, is it possible to get a hint? Um, and that's unoptimal for a couple of reasons. First is like, if, if, you, if you say it like that, I don't really have the context of what is the most optimal hint to give you, right? Because maybe you didn't like, it's too high level where I give you a hint that's not really going to help you or something you already know. Yeah. That's the first thing. Um, and the second thing is it just makes you sound like you're asking for, for help, right? right. Um, a, a better way to do this is to first like state your assumptions, go like, okay, so I know the array is sorted, uh, but I'm struggling with some topic. Like I'm struggling with how to actually, you know, uh, iterate through the array to solve the problem and then, you know, talk about that a bit and then go like, is there, am I going down the right direction or do you think, do, do you have any thoughts? So when you frame it like that, it's like, oh wow, it's much more structured. I can see that you're, why you got stuck in a certain way. So again, it's not always about solving the problem. It's also about like your, your, your framework and the, the, the process you took to get there. So if you explain that to me, not only can I give you a more optimal hint and you're framing it as more collaborative as you're working with me, but um, it just makes you sound like more insightful and that you're more systematic about solving the problem. Yeah. Also asking a question that's, that's closed question, not an open-ended question, being able to say like, how big is the array? Is it megabytes? Is it, is it terabytes? Can I fit it in memory? Yeah. Uh, these are assumptions that are, these, you can ask those questions. You're going to go down the right path. 
not only is it about, it's not really about solving the problem. It's about how well you're going to ask questions when you're on the team as well. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Cause like in, in work, that's, that's what it is, right? Like if, if you're stuck, can you communicate how you're stuck? Right. Like you, you, you go up to somebody and say, can you look at my code and tell me what's wrong? No, I don't have a half a day to help you with this, but can you look at this line? This line, I expect it to do this, and it's not. It's doing this other thing. Yeah, exactly. And, oh, yeah, I can help you with that in, like, five minutes. So, yeah. And I, I do want to reiterate that. At least with me, it isn't about whether you can really solve the problem correctly. Mm-hmm. It's about this whole process, right? Right. Um, yeah. yeah. How about the – what do you mean by coding execution? Yeah, so coding coding and execution, this is actually implementing it, right? So this is more more technical at that point. It's important that like you talk through your code, but staying silent the entire time you're coding, like if it's more than three to four minutes, is non-optimal, right? Right. Um, because <laughs> a lot of times, like I've seen this, like interviewers are busy and they're engineers, they want to code, so they're gonna go like code and like write some emails <laughs> while you're coding, and that's not good, right? You want you want them to stay attentive and actually see the signal that you're doing, um, but also they may be lost. So if you're just coding and you're going down the wrong direction, they can't help you. Right. So at a minimum, you should whenever you finish a logical piece uh, of your code, usually, you know, uh, around two to four minutes, you want to at least like chime in and say, OK, this is what I did or this is what I am planning to do next um, at a minimum. Right. Some people are really good at coding and talking uh, and that actually helps them code. So that's like usually the most optimal. So it's important to get into that habit, as, as you're saying, when you, if you're practicing uh, one of the uh, recommendations, if you are doing it alone, and still not too optimal, but sometimes that's what you have. Like you should re- at least record yourself, so you pretend like someone's listening to you, and you know every so often actually actually listen to yourself as well and analyze how you're communicating. Okay, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of other ones. Uh, I think like one what is a little more technical is like helper functions uh, are, are are really great, right? Like uh, um, I think in 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 technical interviews, people tend to like write one big bucket of, of, of code in one method, right? But if it makes sense to break up like a logical piece, like if there's a depth for search in a particular part, and that's only part of the algorithm, um, then you can put that in helper functions so that like you can focus on that later. And if, even if you run out of time, it still seems like your code is correct because you have that helper function function that makes it like logically seem like it will work if you coded you know, that helper function. Yeah, I could, that's awesome. So you could, uh, w- while you're talking about this, you can say, hey, um, this one part of the algorithm, I think it's going to break up the flow of the rest of it. So I'm going to, I'm going to pop that into a helper function. Maybe we'll bring it back in line later, but, uh, exactly. but for right now, I'm going to put in a helper. And, uh, and then also it could be a way to, if you really don't know how to do something, like I actually don't know how to do this sort of the sort thing. So I'm going to assume I can solve that later and I'm going to punt and put it in, but that's actually how you write code anyway. Uh, if yep. oftentimes yep. If you, if you want to punt and, and you're it's just going to break up the flow to try to figure out part of the algorithm, you stick it in a helper function. That's a great idea. I've never seen anybody write a helper function with them co- during a coding interview. Uh, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, it's just relatively like, like, uh, less common because people don't, you know, really, really, really think about it. But there is a subset that do for sure. Um, but, you know, just one thing that I think should be more frequent, but is not really done that much. Yeah. Okay. In, in technical interviewing. Yeah. And then the last is verification. I, I feel like this one here is the one that people, uh, at least, you know, unless you're a testing engineer, and that's like the forefront of your mind, especially younger engineers that are looking for their first roles. Like, 
they tend to miss this one like completely. Like they'll go like, oh, I, I think it's I think it's correct, you know, or I think it's right. And that's like literally like 10 seconds after they finish the code, right? And as you know, in technical interviewing, uh, you're solving a hard, hard problem on the spot. There's always going to be some error if it's a reasonably difficult question, whether it's a, a syntax error or, you know, a logical error. So it's important to at least like scan through your code at a high level and make sure that like uh, there's no like misspellings or syntax errors. Usually I recommend a talk through your code too, because it helps your interviewer kind of, um, you know, understand and, and sort of reabsorb what you're doing, as well as allows you f to like detect those logical errors and syntax errors as you go, right? But depending on your confidence of the code and how much you feel like the interviewer is trying to optimize for speed, um, you can change the level of verification, right? So it does depend on the interviewer. Um, Do you recommend people actually write down a handful of test cases and walk through what the what the algorithm does with test cases or? Um, it depends. It depends on the, I think it depends on the interviewer and it depends on your confidence of the code as well. So this one is actually, it depends. So like if it's a, if, first of all, if it's a testing position and they're, they're literally telling you, I want to see the test cases, then obviously you want to write the test cases. But if you're reasonably confident and the interviewer, you know, you feel like the interviewer wants to go on to another question, but you can also literally ask the interviewer as well. Like, do you think it makes sense uh, to uh, write test cases? In my opinion, I think I'm relatively confident. So I can maybe just um, write a couple down and uh, um, just go through them quickly, right? So it's okay to communicate to your interviewer on these more opinionated things. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I think uh, candidates struggle with as well is they don't do that enough. They don't get enough syncing on what the interviewer wants. Yeah. Um, another uh, just popping up to the tech uh, on the top of the technical interview. One of the one of the things that is always common is like, should I continue exploring another solution when I'm problem solving or should I code that solution? Right. Um, so uh, that's always a key decision point you have to make. And that's another thing you should ask your interviewer. Uh, it's like if you come up with a naive solution to the problem, just don't don't code that. Like ask your interviewer, like, should I think of something more optimal? Right. Or should okay. I code this one? Right. OK. Cool. Yeah. When like you're given a coding interface, so this doesn't have to do with whiteboard interviews and there's a run button, you don't want to like automatically like just run it without the interviewer's permission because there's still some interviewers that don't want you to do that. Right. So it's important to, to sync with your interviewer once you finish coding and there's like an IDE where you can run to ask what the interviewer wants. Like, should I walk through it manually or is it, is it OK if I like um, run a test case through the interpreter just to verify if I'm correct? Yeah. Right. And generally, you do want to lean towards running it because if you run it in, in the, the IDE, after you look through it at a high level, it's much faster than having to manually like look through every line and walk through every step. So you just pose the option to your interviewer and usually they'll say like, yeah, you can run a couple of test cases to see where you're off. Now, should, some, should somebody come up with a, a handful of uh, uh, test input or uh, test cases that at the beginning when they're asking clarifying questions? Hmm. Yeah, I've seen a couple of styles. I think, you know, both both work. I think it depends on the the candidate. Uh, generally, I think spending too much time is not optimal if it's a software engineering interview. I think coming up with a couple, like saying, is is the array going to be empty? You know, is the string going to be valid uh, if, it's a, if it's a dynamic language? Um, things like that are good to ask. But um, I think uh, writing like five to ten test cases in the beginning is, is not is not that optimal. It's better to start like solving the problem and then you'll figure out the test cases from there. 
Um, well, that's, that's actually quite a lot of information. We went through all four of those parts of the uh, technical interview process uh, through the, the communication, problem solving, coding and execution and verification. Mm-hmm. All of that involves communication, though. You yeah. need to be talking the whole time. Yeah. And uh, that's something that people don't normally do. So practice is going to be important. The things that we talked about over the, the technical interview tips um, those apply to everybody, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a, new, a college grad or somebody transitioning. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. It should be obvious, but it's not. It isn't obvious always to people. Is to to be able to um, speak about the things that you put on your resume. You need to be able to talk about them. Oh um, yeah, yeah. That's so, a huge subject. Yeah, yeah. I could talk about five hours on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't like I can't believe how many people I've talked to where they like list their skills and and I'm going to assume that your skills are in order of like skill level. So you're going to put like if you've got them in a list, the one at the top of the list or the left side is going to be the thing that you're really good at or something. So if I tell ask you directly a question about oh so. Tell me, it, you, you listed Python and Ruby at the top of the, your two skills. Um, tell me the difference. What do you feel like the big differences are between Python and Ruby? And the answer comes back, well, I only took Ruby like for like half of a class, and that was like five years ago, so I don't remember much. Yeah. Then don't yeah. put it on your resume. Um, yeah. Or if you are going to put it, you should like like state like your level of proficiency Yeah, the language, right? So that's one of the things – that we usually adjust in the resumes. Yeah. yeah. It's like, am I proficient? Am I an expert? Am I, you know, intermediate? Definitely. Yeah. That's a good point. And if you just be honest about a beginner, if I'm, I've, I've, I'm a beginner at like these four things, it's fine. Um, yeah. I, I might ask you about it, but it's not going to be a surprise if you say, yeah, I basically did a little toy project just to yeah. feel for it. And then that's it. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we could go, there's so many things we could talk about. We could talk about, uh, how to do better resumes. We could talk about, uh, transitions to, into your job, but yeah. we're, I think we got a lot of great information today and I want to thank you for coming on and, uh, let's wrap it up here. Um, now if somebody wants to, to learn more about Pathrise, how do we, how do we find that again? Yeah, yeah. So if you want to learn more about Pathrise, and uh, go to pathrise.com. That's uh, always feel free to message me on LinkedIn as well. Okay, thanks. Thanks again to Derek for coming on the show and sharing these awesome interview tips. Thanks to Patreon supporters. Join people like Cliff Wildman and keep the show going. Thank you to people who purchased Python Testing with PyTest. Links to the book and the Patreon page are at testingcode.com slash 74. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.